Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to reflect on Liverpool's 3-1 defeat against Brentford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, Liverpool going behind in this game, about 20 minutes in, Ketiva, Ibrahima Kanate goal, own goal I should say, um, and in the wrong end, obviously beneficiary of those against Leicester, but uh, not so lucky this time. Um, after a couple of disallowed goals uh, from set pieces, um, there was no reprieve the third time round when, when Visser put Brentford 2-0 before half-time. Liverpool show some signs of a response early second half. Um, disallowed goal of their own for Nunes. And then Oxlade-Chamberlain heads them into halving the deficit. So 2-1. And you're starting to feel like maybe there could be a bit of a comeback on. But the equaliser doesn't materialise. A few minutes from time. Pretty weak defending probably from uh, Ibrahim Akanate, Brian and Bermo. Scores 3-1 Brentford, game over, another defeat for Liverpool and the run of four um, straight Premier League victories has come to an end. Uh, pretty dismal one, all things considered, you have to say, Chris. Um, we'll start with a three-red match review and just kind of take it from there, I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, you've, I think you've summed up there, Dave, just how bad it was at times today. And my three-word match report is mainly focused on the first half, to be honest. And my three-word match report is, what was that? Because at parts of that first half, it was totally unrecognisable from everything that we've known about Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. I know we've seen it maybe at times this season. I'm thinking Manchester United away. I'm thinking the the Napoli game in, in Naples and the Champions League. They were two, they were two really bad performances. But I would argue that that first 45 minutes was Liverpool's worst domestic display of the season so far. And you mentioned Canate's defending at the end there. That's something that we really haven't seen from him. He's really strong in those positions normally, you know, quick across the ground, physical. But in the first half, even though we talked on the last podcast about Liverpool's defensive frailties and still issues here and there, even though getting results... I can't remember the last time I saw Liverpool defend that poorly from set pieces. And it reached a point where, obviously, the first one went in, the Canate own goal. Then, after that, the, both of Wissers disallowed goals. I almost expected something to happen before the delivery came in. <laughs> that, that, that's the state that it got to. And that all kind of ties into to, to my three-word review. And just so unrecognisable, but ultimately I think we've had a quick discussion about this not something that is out of the ordinary from Liverpool this season Yeah, that, that's the unfortunate reality, it feels like a little bit circular in terms of you know a good run and then um, a humbling defeat, um, before I get into my three-round match review um, I wanted to mention that at some stage in the podcast um, in terms of the set-piece angles, and seeing as you mentioned it there i'll just bring it up now so if you look at the amount of shots um liverpool were conceding from set pieces um in the let's if we go up to the game against nottingham forest um it was 1.9 uh, shots per game and then they've played eight matches against premier league opposition since then and that's gone up to 3.1 um and this was something that I kind of looked into on the back of what was happening today. 
So Brentford obviously load up the six-yard box. A few players retreat and just totally destroy Liverpool's defensive organisation. Um, and we see um, against Man City a few weeks back, short corner, leads to a goal. Again, messes up the organisation. Um, and we've also conceded against Forrest from a, from a set-piece, a free-kick in that one. Um, and Che Adams scored a header from, from another set-piece against Southampton. So that's the four um, goals conceded in the eight games. The shots are going up too. And hugely concerning in the sense that Liverpool's set-piece record was one of their big strengths as a side. Now you're seeing that become a bit of a weakness. And if you can't defend an open play and you can't defend from set pieces, then um, you're screwed, to, to put it politely. There's another word I could, I could have used there, but we'll, we'll stick with screwed. Um, so the, the set pieces thing is definitely a worry. That's got to be addressed um, immediately. In terms of my review, I've gone with um, not remotely surprised because... You know, if you break down the past few games, um, I think with the exception of Southampton, um, which I thought Liverpool did all right, they went they were amazing, but you know, deserved to win that game, I think, and it was a fairly good performance on the whole, certainly going forward. You know, Aston Villa gave up too many chances in that game, created a lot, but gave up an amount where could have gone another way. Uh, Tottenham massively rode our luck in the second half. And I said it at the time, to be fair, you know, we, we said it was a big win, but we, we were on this podcast saying Liverpool were lucky. And luckiest of all against Leicester last time out. And the reality uh, with football and, and football at this level is if you ride your luck for too long, you, you're going to get punished. Um, and the thing today was obviously the luck element coming into it. So I'm not too shocked by the result, but you also just looked at it and you thought the, the, the results Brentford have picked up against other teams in the big six, they're a bit of a specialist for that. Um, so you have that Liverpool's questionable form coming into it, kind of feeling like you can't really sustain this winning streak much longer. And I'm like, I can't really will myself into thinking we're going to win. Then you see Ivan Tony's out before the game yeah. and you think, okay, yeah. maybe that's, that's the opening that you need, you know, there were stats beforehand saying um, most important attacker, I think, um, at any of the big six. Not, not even not big six, the, the whole Premier League. Any of those teams, he's, he's got the, the highest percentage, I think, of, of involvement in goals. Um, and I think that's maybe an overlooked thing in the performance. I know it was mentioned a little bit in the commentary, but to lose to a team without their, their talismanic player makes this even worse. Well, that that was a thing as well. Where I looked at it before the game, Ivan Tony had twelve of Brentford's goals this season, as you rightly point out, was a massive, massive part of their game. Umbuemo and Wissa were both were joint top next scorer with three each prior to today's game, and you would not, you would simply not have known that if, if this was the first ever Premier League game that you'd watched, you'd have thought Umbuemo and Wissa were. 15, 20 goal a season players. And I like Brian and Waymo especially. I think he's a really good player. Johan Wissler's shown that he can come in and do a job for Brentford, certainly. He scored against Liverpool last season. And that's a point as well. Two games away at Brentford in the Premier League since Brentford got promoted, six goals conceded, which is very much an issue in itself. Not to take anything away from Brentford. I like them. I like the way that the club is run. I like their scouting. I like how they use analysis. I, I really do like the way that the club is run. But if you talk about Liverpool's aspirations, 
And especially with no Ivan Tony, that is the big issue, I think, given how much he provides. And yet, Brentford really did do a good job uh, th- th- this evening on Liverpool. Yeah, it's it's one of them, isn't it? It's like, I feel when you look at what's happened to other teams who've, who've gone to Brentford, you can sort of say, you know what, it's a game you can drop points in. It's not the end of the world. It, it's it's hazardous. But when someone of the importance of Tony is out, then it gets to the point where you're like, the excuse is removed a little bit. And um, it, yeah, not not just simply not good enough from from Liverpool today. And you know, you mentioned that stat. I, I think you know we've got to be magnanimous in the sense that Thomas Thomas Frank deserves a lot of credit um, because you know the the, the job. As they say, the job he's doing down there is uh, is unbelievable. Just signed this new contract, follows it up with um, a results against Tottenham, beats West Ham and Liverpool. And I think it, he's sort of becoming, albeit with a, a different style of play, a bit of a Graham Potter um, at the moment. You know, you look at the table. Brentford have played a game more than us, but, the, but they're two points behind us. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a remarkable feat for them as, as damning as it is um, for Liverpool on the other end of it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so he deserves great credit. You know, he, he's a manager who has time and again devised setups that have basically, you know, destroyed um, bigger teams in certain moments. You know, we saw what happened when Manchester United went there earlier in the season and they and he's pulled Liverpool apart twice now. I remember last season, um, it was the overload at the back post that killed us, you know, the, the set pieces today. Um, like we mentioned earlier, so props to Thomas Frank, um, in that respect. And you know, next game for Liverpool against Brighton, Roberto De Zerbi, um, already got a, got a three-all draw at Anfield, and and has shown signs of potentially being able to follow in Potter's footsteps with, with his with his game planning. So, um, you fear more of the same. But I want to return to something you said earlier, Chris. I I want to talk about. The, the way in which Liverpool were bullied. And there's two elements to this. I think there's the, the physical side and then there's the, the mental side. Um, I want to start with the mental side and the character of this team. Um, and I'll posit a theory to you. It's twofold. So I'd say Liverpool now look like they've reversed roles with Arsenal in that if you look at Arsenal's record and the way they function as a football side and um, their ability to um, to show character in difficult moments and, you know, how well they've done this season. They That's where you'd expect Liverpool to be. Liverpool have become almost like the Arsenal um, of, of late Wenger, um, Emery and early Arteta, where they just look a little bit spineless and they, they can't do it when um, the going gets tough for them. And I think... Because it is difficult to explain when you see a downfall like this um, sometimes. I think a lot of it has to do with the psychological blow of the way last season ended at the end of that marathon. And it just means that this team that, that built so much of its success on being able to rally in difficult moments has now had the, the stuff and knocked out of it. And they're basically on the canvas when, when things don't, don't go their way. You're right. And... If there's one game not involving Liverpool, I was actually going to point out when you were describing Brentford there, 
the first game of last season of the whole season was Brentford against Arsenal. It was the first, it was for Brentford's first top flight game for 74 years and you wouldn't have known it. Again, it was the first ever game of football you watched. You wouldn't have known it was Brentford's first top flight game for generations. And the second goal in that game was a long throw. Ivan Tony doing what he does best, putting himself among defenders and it fell at the back post. And that was, I remember, I remember Jamie Carragher that night and he was saying just, that's so Arsenal. That was, that was his analysis that night, just saying about how poor Arsenal were. You almost expected it from Arsenal watching it. We all knew what was going to happen from Arsenal defence. The way they've improved has been absolutely remarkable. They've been brilliant. It was the first time for a while. I'm not saying Liverpool have been great defensively this season because they really have not been. But it was the first time in those kind of scenarios where I saw more desire from attacking players. I saw more hunger from attacking players. You look at Johan Wiss's header, um, which, which, which ultimately was the one that counted. It's a good ball into the box, not a great ball. It's a good ball. And he's attacking it at the back post while Liverpool players are standing and staring and waiting for the ball while he's going to go and attack it. And it raises an issue going forward as well, because I know we'll have to wait and see on Van Dijk. There was a slight hamstring concern at halftime, which is why he got substituted. Hopefully it's not too bad. But did Canate maybe look a little bit ring rusty? I don't know. Um, yeah, but other players that have come back from the World Cup have done pretty well, haven't they? Um, th- th- there's, there's a lot of concern. I, I think my biggest concern of the team defensively and it does kind of count along with the bullying as well. The amount of times, I'm sure you've noticed it as well, Dave, the amount of times that I've that I probably lost count of how long it's taken Liverpool to pass and pass and pass outside of the penalty area before even creating a crumb of a chance before they lose possession. And three passes later, a counterattack's on the edge of Liverpool's penalty area. And I just think it's becoming a worryingly reoccurring theme when everybody can see that Liverpool's midfield is a problem. And I've said several times that there isn't a competent or good enough backup to Fabinho. I do maintain that is one of Liverpool's biggest issues. I saw Chloe say on Twitter, Chloe Bloxham, of course, saying that it's difficult to point out what Liverpool's biggest problem is when there's about 10 at once at the moment. Um, And... I've seen people saying as well, I'm not I'm not just going to point fingers at defenders here because that would be wrong of me to do so. I thought everything that Salah was against Aston Villa, he wasn't tonight. I thought he went missing tonight. Um, there were big problems further up the pitch as well. And you're right, all over the pitch, I thought Liverpool were outthought and outfought tonight. And those are two of the very basics that you need in the Premier League in any game of football, any level. Yeah, I think, like you say, we probably won't get too much into the individual aspects of performance. You know, there's a certain point when when a defeat is bad enough that you just start to think we should maybe look at the collective. And I think that's the right thing to do here. And uh, and it's also worth saying, we discussed before uh, we came on air that we're not really going to start talking too much about about transfers um in this episode you know we've we've made it pretty clear on, on the podcast that um we know that investment is needed and that it's one of the potential solutions albeit uh, not the only one so we won't really get into that today i, I want to talk more about 
the actual um, season, I suppose, and and the implications and where Liverpool are at in that sense competitively. Um, and yeah, just you know, the moment I I think back to, I think that that captures today really is that third goal. And um, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I think there was a moment earlier in the game, and Kanate ends up in a race, and I think it might be in Burma as well. And I'm like. The crowd all get up, and I'm completely relaxed because I know that he's up against Kanate, and Kanate is rapid, he's strong, and he's not going to allow himself to get beat in that situation. And he deals with it the second time, exact same thought process, very different result. Um, because he just goes to ground, and I'm watching the replay, and like there's got to be a tangle of legs and, and Klopp's adamant after the match that it was a foul, but it it was it just simply wasn't a foul. It was just weak, and it was just so easy and. You were watching it and you were thinking, I think there was a spell. And the, the three half-time subs and starting to think, you know, was Klopp pulled off a bit of a masterclass here with making that many changes and the you know, the actual personal decisions he made. But it only really lasted um 10, 15 minutes or so, I think. Um when you were really sort of confident that Liverpool might be able to mount a comeback. And then you start to think, you know, they, they could they could get us on the counter, or at least that's what I was thinking. And and sure enough, that's what happened. And it was incredibly easy and very uncharacteristic of um, Kanata, I think, to sort of uh, fold in that fashion. Um, if we look at the grand scheme of things, then this is now the fourth game since the World Cup. Um, we've seen Liverpool win two and lose two. One of those was against Man City with a weakened side. So you can kind of look past that. Villa, decent performance. Problems in there still. Like I said earlier, Leicester, poor performance, lucky victory. Today, dreadful performance on the whole and and dreadful results. We had this multiple week break that we were banking on. We had the training camp in Dubai. And is it fair to say, Chris, that there hasn't been a noticeable improvement? I think that is fair. I mean, even if you take those friendlies into account, Liverpool's last clean sheet in any competition was against Derby County. And Liverpool's last clean sheet against a side that wasn't from League One was against Napoli in a dead rubber. So if you're talking about a real competitive fixture in which something was properly lying on it. You're looking back to the away game at Ajax. In terms of the Premier League, you're looking at the back-to-back. The, the back-to-back clean sheet against West Ham and Manchester City, which looked like, I know there was a penalty save in there um, against Jared Bowen uh, in the West Ham game, but you were thinking that was kind of the, the, the maybe the foundation for, for a good defensive run. But we're not just talking about the goals conceded here. We're talking about the chances. And the number of them, which is really quite alarming, isn't it? Because I think I'm 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 the same as you. Where say the the Jubilee Hall's goal. If we're going back to the Leicester game, I can't remember the last time I saw a Premier League goal scored that easily. Not just against Liverpool, against a Premier League team in the Premier League at the at the highest level of football to collect a ball. 40 yards out, running a straight line through the heart of the defence and finish. It just kind of summed up everything that was wrong. And I maintain 
I know I said about the set pieces, but I can't remember the last time so Liverpool struggled so much from crosses in a game. Um, I know stuff's been talked about you know, the, the, the far post, and I'm, I'm not going to, again, we're not going to pick bones, for example, but of course, Trent alexander all gets a lot of criticism for maybe back post defending. He could, you could label a little bit at him for Wissa's goal purely because of just how free Wissa was at the back post this evening, and that has to be said. But there hasn't been a a game that you've almost thought a clean sheet was coming as well. Because against Aston Villa, yes, Liverpool rode their chances, but you always thought Villa were in the game. Leicester was gone before the game had even started, pretty much. And after, you know, let's not just forget, before Canate's before own goal, Umbuemo was through on goal. And Alisson had to pull out a very good save. So I would say, yes, I don't think there has been a terrible improvement. And I think you're starting to look starting to look a bit further than the players, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, for example, I thought, when I heard before the game that Robertson wasn't playing, I thought it was because of this continuing dead leg. So I wasn't expecting to see him in the squad at all. So to see him on the bench, I was quite surprised. Because I'm of the mantra of, yes, the festive period is very, very busy. But I'm sure Costas Simicast was going to play against, um, was going to play against Wolves. On yeah. Saturday, and I'm not, I'm not at all picking holes of Costa Simicast because I thought he did very well, and only a great save from David Ray denied him. But I've always been of the mantra of first team and or put your first team out, do the business, and then make changes if need be. So to have to make three changes at half time, and by the way, they could have been made before half time, as we saw in the World Cup final with the Champs taking off um, Dembele in the first half as well, and uh, Giroud, of course. So I think that was more fitness wise. And I'm sure in many Liverpool fans' eyes, there were a few more players that could have got the hook as well, to be honest. But yeah, it, it, it is a concern. And I think my big concern is now looking forward to tomorrow as we're recording this. I think everybody expects Manchester United to get the better of Bournemouth quite convincingly, let's be honest. And then I know Liverpool have already pulled back somewhat of a gap on Tottenham. But then to pull back seven-point gap on a Man United team that I think are looking increasingly impressive is quite a big ask, even with 21 games to go, if that if, if it feels that way. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the good thing is, you know... You, There's Newcastle, a long way to go. But yeah, yeah, Newcastle are in there too, and we are going to have to only finish above... Um, you know, if, if we don't finish above Man United, we can still... Obviously, get into the top four. Although I understand what you mean, Chris, in the sense that that Newcastle are above them as we record. Um, because and... I mean, Newcastle as well. The, the thing is, sorry, sorry to put in there, Dave. But the, the thing about Newcastle as well, everything that we've been talking about Liverpool defensively, Newcastle are the complete polar opposite. Yeah. I think they're they're definitely in the top three for xG conceded in terms of least xG conceded. Best defensive record. Best in defensive terms of goals record. Conceded, yeah. Their defensive capabilities. I mean, I'm, I can see this with my own eyes, but as someone that's got Kieran Trippier in their fantasy team, I know week in, week out, I reap the rewards of that. So, you know, you're talking about a team that are so good at the back as opposed to Liverpool, who, you know, we're talking about 22 goals conceded. You could have added another three or so to that tonight, really. Yeah, I think um, the big stat that's going around is, is the big chances conceded at the moment. And um, they said in, in commentary that, it was the most in the entire Premier League, which 
it is staggering and, and points to the level of systemic issues that we have and that Jurgen Klopp has to address. And and on that, I think at some point we will have to do an episode on, on, on Klopp's role this season because we don't want to be seen to um, just be completely absolving the manager of blame. He, he does have to bear um, certainly a significant chunk of the responsibility as much as we are sort of um, probably endlessly loyal to Klopp. I think it's fair to say um, that doesn't mean that he gets a free pass um, by any means this season. So we'll look into that, I think, in a bit more depth um, when we get the opportunity to do so. Um, coming into the final few minutes of the episode, you know, when, when you talk about wins and you speak about them in a the context of a team being lucky, you know, you get you get criticised sometimes. Um you know, it's like you know, you're just being miserable, and you and you need to to enjoy enjoy victories. But um, the signs were there, I suppose, in that Villa game. You know, Liverpool's big problem hasn't been, you know, creating chances. Taking them has been a problem, yeah. But create creating them hasn't been. Um, the problem has been the amount of giving up at the other end. And you looked at that Villa game, and although it was a good victory, um the warning signs were there in terms of that's the kind of thing that we needed to eliminate in Dubai in, in that training camp really. And we needed to, to source our structure out and, and clearly we haven't done that. So it's too early to say whether the world cup has or hasn't been a turning point in Liverpool season right now. It looks like it hasn't, but I guess that judgment comes further down the line when you can look at the full picture, but where does it leave us? Chris, if we are going to have to deal with the same problems until until the end of the season, um, we 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 might see um, as much as we don't want to get too much into transfers. You know, we might see an addition. We might see one midfielder come in for the end of January, which is obviously a factor. But you know, midfielder or not, if the World Cup hasn't had the effect we wanted it to, you know, where does that put Liverpool? in the kind of top four picture in a rather precarious position i think when you consider that at the moment obviously on the pitch it's not looking particularly good right now but off the pitch as well at no point do i think liverpool will become less of a enticing prospect for potential investors but you want to be at the top don't you you want to be at the very top of the game um that's why, you know, I, I think there could be a lot of growing frustration, say, moment with Chelsea fans, given that the investment of the club, there is going to be continued investment where we're seeing with a lot of um, talk about this transfer window for them. But Potter, I think it's 15 points from his first 10 games at Chelsea, which is far from ideal, given um, given the funds that there's going to be, yeah, given that the squad there already is. Let's let's put it straight. Chelsea have a very good squad on their hands and if it wasn't for two injury hit fullbacks could have could be a lot further up the table um i think it's also quite damning just when you see the success of last season and you know if we talk about the mentality as well we touched on earlier are there still a few players feeling a bit of a mental hangover from the way last season finished in terms of the premier league in terms of the champions league i know it's easy for us to say oh that was nearly a year ago now but we don't know what people think. We don't know what goes on inside people's heads. Are they still feeling those kind of frustrations? I just think it's been quite 
dramatic in terms of the fall off defensively. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at last season, and this this is perhaps the most damning stat of them all. Liverpool this season in the Premier League have conceded 22 goals. That is four, yes, four of last season's tally, which perhaps sums everything up at the moment, doesn't it? So, yes, improvement is needed and quickly. Otherwise, the top four could get away rather quickly. And look, we're not about being negative at all. There's a long, long way to go. But there's one or two other teams that look in much healthier positions at the moment, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and, and another stat to follow on from that that, that I, I saw on Twitter is that Allison is already has already equaled, or if he hasn't equaled, is, is on the verge of his um, tally for for saves from the whole 2019-20 season when obviously Liverpool won the Premier League. So um, high, highest for goal prevention. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. it's very similar to uh, David de Gea last season. Um, I think so. You remember how dysfunctional Man United were last season. That um, kind of says it all. And, you know, I, I don't think that we should make this particular result out as a disaster because Liverpool had had one four in a row coming into it. You know, you look at their, their actual form over the past, you know, 14 games either side of the World Cup. I think it's 10 victories from those 14 in all compositions. If they can kind of sustain the way they've been picking up points in that spell. I think they'll still be all right for top four. Um, and it, it may be the new year now. But given that the season stopped, what was it, six weeks because of the World Cup? You know, we are less than halfway through the season still. There's a long, long way to go, like you said, Chris. So the actual result itself, it clearly dents our top four chances. But... It's not, um, it's not critical. The situation, the problem, isn't the actual hard and fast results in the table. The problem is how Liverpool are playing, in my opinion. And the, and the last thing I want to ask you, Chris, is like, just generally speaking, how hard is it to adjust as a Liverpool fan to to watching a team that is in sixth place in the Premier League and, and looks like a team that that should be in sixth. And generally, just has the look of a dysfunctional and and just dodgy football team. I think that it's an interesting question to answer, just because look, I I follow football at all levels, and of course, there's a lot of clubs, say Derby County, Portsmouth, Bolton. There's a lot of fans that I've had to go through a lot worse than this at the moment. But what I will say is. I'm sure you're the same, Dave. I'm I'm a competitive person. <laughs> so at no point in my life, whether it's a board game, whether it's Monopoly at Christmas, you know, I I don't like losing and losing isn't a nice feeling. So from that respect, it, it doesn't feel great when especially when you've got a lot of ground to make up and not looking like doing so. So I'd say that's the adjustment, I think. And because especially when, because I was talking about this the other day in terms of, say, the, the two league campaigns, the 97 points, the 92 points, and not claiming titles from both of them. That That is also pretty tough to take as well in terms of longer term, when, when you just think about what success 
this side could have had. I heard Jamie Carragher talk about it today that he thinks this is a club team moving towards the end of its tenure, which again is 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 an adjustment to take when you think about some amazing players that Liverpool Football Club have had that are going to be moving on in the not too distant future. It seems like, and in terms of the the next group coming through and what the group's going to look like, but it's also not easy to take when you talk about adjustment period that doesn't come with success, but that, that, that might just be the case. And when you are, when you have just lost a game, it can be very difficult to see the positives around. So um, in terms of the adjustment, I totally get what you mean. I think it's more a case of being ready to back the team to fight. And that is what I want to see from Liverpool now. I want to see that fight. I want to see that determination midfield. Because I mentioned that Brentford were the bigger fighters today. They, they wanted it more. And that's something that should be at the very basis of a Jurgen Klopp team. And that's what, if we're going back to basics, that is one thing this Liverpool team needs to refine. That fire and desire to really fight and scrap and get results in games like this. Yeah, I mentioned earlier. Actually, that I wanted to look at the uh, the way in Liverpool were bullied um, in two different two different ways. The mental and the physical. I don't think we actually got on to physical in the end, but um, you know, one of the things I wrote about you need a whole of the podcast for this. Yeah, yeah. We, we would, but uh, you know, just to just to touch on it quickly, um, I, I wrote an article today. You know, Carragher was talking about Liverpool needing to replace Wijnaldum not only as a defender but but as an athlete defender obviously in the sense that he um helps the team you know stabilize from midfield or that's what he did when he was at Liverpool but yeah replacing him as an athlete too in terms of there aren't enough players certainly in the middle of the park who have the combination of of kind of the energy the, the strength and, and the speed and the reality like you say Chris in terms of the identity of the side is that, that, that that's quite crucial and one of the big uh reasons why uh failure to replace Wijnaldum has has been problematic in an area that that's I think been overlooked, but yeah, we won't get fully into that. I just think, um, really, you know, because his availability was the big his avail his availability yeah. was the most underrated quality as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, honestly, he was averaging something in the article as well. He was averaging sort of three thousand seven hundred minutes per season, which is absolutely insane. Um, so I think Thiago would faint if he saw that uh, as much as <laughs> as much as I love him. Um. But yeah, I think that'll about uh, wrap us up uh, for this episode. Um, you feel as if had last season gone differently, had we managed to win one of those two trophies, then this season would be a lot easier to take. Um, as it is, we didn't. And um, I suppose we're feeling the effects of that now and, that, and those two things can't be separated. So we've just got to um, hope that we can salvage something from it and um, hope when you know, maybe a couple of our players get back. If we can do something in that in the market, then hopefully we'll be able to at least look like a um, a functioning uh, football team again. But thanks very much uh, for jumping on, Chris. I know the uh, the post defeat ones can be a little bit hard to uh, motivate yourself for, but yeah, we'll be back um, at the end of this week uh, for a sort of post Wolves episode. Hopefully, it will give us some kind of good FA Cup vibes, uh, potential debut for Cody Gakpo as well. So, nice positive note on which to end on. In the meantime, please um, like the podcast, give it a five-star review, follow, all, all the good stuff if you enjoyed it. And, yeah, until the weekend, take care.